Saturday there. Kiss of life. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by queer policy expert and blogger Alastair Laurie. Alastair, welcome back to the show. It's always great to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to be on. You wrote a great uh, article on your blog, alastairlaurie.net, about LGBTIQ law reforms that need to happen around the country in states and federally. Uh, It's quite a list. Let's start with the first one, which was ending non-consenting surgeries and other harmful medical interventions on children born with variations of sex characteristics. It's a big problem around the country. Uh, Absolutely. It's... Uh, what I would describe as the worst human rights abuse against any part of our community, um, which still occurs in Australia, which makes it so pleasing that the ACT government uh, in late March finally introduced their bill to prohibit um, the vast majority of these practices. Um, So that's a testament to the leadership of the ACT government, but most importantly to the leadership of Intersex Human Rights Australia and people like Morgan Carpenter in finally securing um, the introduction of that bill. Once that bill is passed, what we really need to see is for other states and territories to follow as quickly as possible. These these are abhorrent practices. They are gross violations of human rights and they really need to end. It's disappointing in 2023 that the states are dragging their heels on this. Why do you think that is? It seems like a no-brainer to fix it. Uh, I can't answer that question. I I agree that um, this is something that really is is so far beyond the realm of what should be acceptable that people should have the right to control um, their body and have the the fundamental human right to bodily autonomy respected. Um, But I really just strongly encourage all those state and territory governments that haven't acted yet um, to, to get on board. Another reform that you have highlighted is the need for trans birth certificate law reforms in New South Wales, Queensland and WA. Tell us what needs to be done specifically. Sure. So starting with the good news, the Queensland government has actually introduced a bill to Parliament um, to update their birth, deaths and marriages registration laws, uh, including to remove the requirement for um, genital surgery for trans and gender diverse people to update their birth certificates. So what we need to see happen there is for that legislation to be passed. Uh, We also saw late last year that the Western Australian government um, promised to abolish their gender um, recognition board and similarly to remove requirements for genital surgery to uh, update birth certificates there. So that's great and we need to see them follow through on that uh, commitment. Um, Which really leaves one jurisdiction which is the holdout and that's New South Wales. So in New South Wales, we will soon be the only place in the country that still imposes um, such an outdated um, requirement uh, that people, transgender people have to have genital surgery in order to update their birth certificates. Unfortunately, there's no clear commitment from the new government um, to change those laws, but they haven't ruled it out either. So we need the, the men's Labor government um, to pass that legislation early in their term. It sounds like Chris Minns is sitting on the fence. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment? Certainly based on what they uh, submitted to the ACON-led community survey before the election, they, they left the door open but gave no clear commitment. So really, we, we need to force them to take action. Why do you think New South Wales is so behind on that issue? Like, you'd think it would be, uh, being the largest population state, uh, you'd think it would be progressive on this issue, especially with the change of government. 
Uh, yeah, what's the historical reason for this kind of, you know, lacklustre response to this issue? Uh, I mean, to put it into context, New South Wales isn't just behind on that issue, but it's behind on anti-discrimination reform and conversion practices uh, as well. Um, I think there's a range of different historical um, factors for that. It, it, in some respects, it's quite a conservative state. It had the lowest yes vote in the, the same-sex marriage postal survey, and so um, that some politicians may see that as a reason not to act, but I, I don't think there's any reason not to respect the fundamental human rights of that community. And um, with the change of government, there's obviously a, a fresh opportunity to push for birth certificate reform as well as changes in those other areas. Are you optimistic that we will see, you know, Chris Minns bringing New South Wales up to speed uh, and in line with the rest of the country? Uh, and do you think that possibly he was just being cautious during the campaign? Uh, what's your gut feeling about about what we'll see from him regarding LGBTIQ law reform in New South Wales? Uh, my gut feeling is that we have a lot of work to do to to present the evidence and make a case for change. They've made some commitments in some areas, uh, so they've, they've committed to do uh, legislation on conversion practices, although there's a worrying caveat on that, and they've committed to send the Anti-Discrimination Act to the Law Reform Commission for review, um, but they haven't made firm commitments in other areas. Um, so, you know, potentially, it was them being cautious ahead of an election. Um, potentially, it's just not on their radar at this stage, uh, which is why it's up to, to all of us to persuade them uh, through the means that are available to us uh, to do the right thing. What's that worrying caveat they've put on banning conversion practices? So, during the election campaign, both... Um, then opposition leader Minns and then Premier Perrottet uh, committed to ending conversion practices or banning um, sexual orientation and gender identity conversion practices. But they both then came out with statements that warped that commitment back a little. So um, in Minns' case, he told a public forum that, quote, taking offence at the teachings of a religious leader will not be banned, expressing a religious belief through sermon will not be banned, and an individual with their own consent seeking guidance through prayer will not be banned either. Um, it, it remains to be seen how much of a caveat that is in terms of legislation, but we really don't want to see religious settings excluded because that's where the majority of harm is caused in terms of conversion practices. So I hope that he will be listening to the views of survivors um, and, and people who have uh, experienced conversion practices about exactly why religious settings must be covered. Are you of the view that it's uh, fine to leave banning conversion practices to the states? I mean, Queensland's done it in a kind of a, uh, a questionable way. They have banned it in, you know, medical settings, but not in religious settings. Uh, in health settings, they've they've banned it. Victoria's now at the ACT's done it. Um, do we need the federal government to kind of put some uniform laws in place, or should we just leave it to the states? Uh, I'll be honest, and I will confess that I don't know whether the Commonwealth has constitutional power to ban it federally. I'll leave that up to constitutional lawyers to decide. Um, but we have seen some jurisdictions do it and do it properly, including, as you say, Victoria and the ACT. So there's no reason why the other six states and territories can't follow suit. One of the other really important and timely areas you've highlighted is uh, protecting LGBTIQ people against vilification. Of course, events over the last month, in particular in New South Wales and in Victoria uh, and in New Zealand, have really, you know, highlighted that with Posey Parker, with the fascists 
protesting here on the on the steps of of, of Parliament. I mean, you know, where where do you begin with what needs to be done there? It, it, I'm sure it's surprising to some of the listeners today that vilification has anti LGBTIQ vilification hasn't been made unlawful either under Commonwealth law or in Victoria or in WA or in South Australia. Um, that, that seems really strange in 2023 that, that vilifying people on the basis of their sexual orientation or gender identity or sex characteristics is permitted in those jurisdictions. Um, obviously, what we need to see after the recent events, including on the steps of Victorian Parliament, um, is for Victoria to follow through on their long-standing commitment to ban vilification practices. So they actually committed to do that last term. Um, so they need to, to follow through on that commitment as soon as possible. In WA, uh, as part of their Equal Opportunity Act review and general um, anti-discrimination reform, they have committed to introduce um, LGBTIQ vilification law. So we need them to follow through, which really leaves WA, uh, really leaves South Australia and the Commonwealth as places where there are no laws and there appear to be no commitments to introduce laws either. Yeah, there's no excuse for Victoria not following through on their election commitment this term. I mean, you know, you'd think they'd have the numbers for it in the upper house and, of course, they've got that huge majority in the lower house. What makes it interesting is they've made that commitment, but they've also said they're going to cut staff at the Equal Opportunity Commission. So even if they make the reform, there'll be less staff to service those complaints. Um, that that seems like a worrying development. I'm, I'm not up to speed with that. Uh, but clearly we need the laws in, laws in place and somebody to complain to. Alistair, one of the things that you've called for, and it's something that the Labor Party actually committed to when Shorten was opposition leader, and they took it to the to that 2019 election, and that is creating an LGBTIQA plus commissioner at the Australian Human Rights Commission. Uh, Albanese hasn't, you know, got that same commitment, uh, but it does seem like another no-brainer and a pretty easy thing to do, and um, it's been spectacularly successful down here in Victoria with Ro Allen and Todd Fernando. So, um, you know, it's a no-brainer. Uh, do you think we'll see movement in that area from the Prime Minister? I genuinely don't know. Um, I certainly hope so. So today is the last day of um, Kate Jenkins' role as Sex Discrimination Commissioner. What people might not be aware of is that for the last 12 months as part of that role, she's also had responsibility for LGBTIQ issues. Um, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know that, uh, and, and I wouldn't blame her that she hasn't been able to do a lot with that role because to expect a sex discrimination commissioner to do everything on sex discrimination and, and discrimination against women and then somehow as an add-on or part-time role take on the wide variety of LGBTIQA discrimination and policy issues is just it's completely unrealistic. We don't need a part-time role, we don't need an add-on role to somebody else's existing responsibilities. We need a standalone, um, independent, dedicated LGBTIQA commissioner. Um, think about the last month where we've had the turfs and the neo-Nazis and the rioting in West Sydney and Mark Latham being Mark Latham. There were so many opportunities for a, a national statutory office holders to speak out about anti-LGBTIQA plus discrimination and instead we had a void. 
yeah, and policy is all about that window of opportunity. That window of opportunity is clearly there. It's in your face. Uh, and you'd think that would create the justification for Albanese to act, especially as the precedent's been set with Kate Jenkins actually demonstrating a need to fulfil a role like that by having it as part of her responsibilities. Um, there's obviously just not that political will there, especially, you know, they, they did have it as an election commitment. Um, you know, so the precedent's there on the policy level as well. Absolutely. And in fact, the Commission has had this as a, a portfolio for many years. It's, uh, and when we have the new Sex Discrimination Commissioner, when they're appointed, they will be the fourth different person who has held that portfolio in the last 18 months. So then Kate Jenkins, before that briefly, it was with President Ross Croucher, before that it was with the Human Rights Commissioner, Ed Santow, um, all of whom, at least certainly the three that we know of, are fantastic human rights advocates. Um, but it's not their primary role. It's an add-on. So what we need is somebody whose primary role is to speak out on LGBTIQA plus discrimination issues. Alastair, Laurie, it is always wonderful to chat with you on 3CR. And if people want to see your fabulous blog, they can go to alastairlaurie.net. Thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. Thanks again. Alastair, Laurie, there you are and in your face on 3CR.
hallelujah, I just love him so. When I'm in trouble and I have no friends, he is my baby until the end. When everybody asks me how do I know, I say he smiled at me and told me so. That's why I know. Live in Berlin, Ella Fitzgerald there with Hallelujah. Up soon, I will be talking with Kiara. Ah, yeah, she's a fabulous composer. Kiara, kick drum, all about uh, Goddess, which is uh, an exhibition at Acme uh, featuring goddesses, if you like, formidable women of the screen. And, uh, yeah, going to be great to chat. But in the meantime, I do have some more music, and uh, here's a great track. It's Shirley Bassey.
kiss of death from Mr. Goldfinger. Pretty girl, beware of this heart of gold. This heart is cold. Golden words he will pour in your Kiss of death from Mr. Goldfinger. Pretty girl, beware of this heart of gold. This heart is cold. He loves only gold. Only gold. He Shirley Bassey there with gold finger. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. And here's Dion Warwick.
submit to you. I'm in love with you and some There and here's a double from Earth, Wind and Fire. Another 
There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very, you know, important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that, that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3cr community radio 855 am on digital and online 3cr radical radio
Wind and Fire there with Fantasy. I'm delighted to have Kiara Kickdrum on the line, the composer for the wonderful exhibition Goddess, which is happening in Acme here in Melbourne at Federation Square, featuring formidable women of the screen. Uh, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on board. Thanks. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm really excited about Goddess. It recently opened. It's running until the 1st of October. Tell us all about it. Yeah, look, um, you know, Goddess, it's such an amazing project. It um, absolutely, um, I guess, um, yeah, helps um, making people aware, I guess, of how the women's presence in the screen over the last, you know, 120 years has been so important and there's been so many amazing women that have done incredible work. They were strong. They paved the way for, you know, a lot of actresses and, and you know, producers uh, that are doing stuff um, today. We don't even realize how much how much they did. And, you know, they, they beat in the stereotypes of, you know, what being a woman, I guess, in the, in the film industry um, meant and still means today. Um, you know, they transcended expectations that roles that were complex and they fought convention, they were fearless, creative, powerful women. And it's just so amazing to see it um, alive and, you know, and to show it to the world. And women that, you know, fought against, you know, hindrances um, and barriers and things that were designed to oppress them, like the Hayes Code, which put great restrictions on the kind of roles women could play and what kinds of women were depicted on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, and, and when you think about those um, um, restrictions and, and limits that women had in the past and seeing where we got to now, it's just amazing, um, you know, to see how far we've come really and how lucky we are to be alive at this time. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but, you know, like for me, even seeing this and, and as a composer, like thinking, hmm, I hope maybe in a hundred years we could do an exhibition like that uh, about women composers and, you know, gender diverse composers, that it's not just, you know, um, white males and, you know, uh, being out there doing the work. And that would be just wonderful to, you know, to see one day. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a woman composer, uh, you must you must see so many barriers and you must see, see so much erasure of female composers in the film industry. Yeah, look, um, I have to say I've been quite lucky in my career so far where I haven't really had to think too much about, you know, being a woman in the industry. But the more I think back, um, the more actually probably I've had to deal with things not realized. And the reason why I was dealing with that is because I was a woman, uh, because I am a woman. Um, and so, so yeah, so I guess being aware of those um, those gaps in the industry, those faults in the industry, and, and just keep doing the work as women, as gender diverse people that, you know, um, that we can do it regardless of our gender, regardless of our color, regardless of where we come from, you know, just being strong and just fight the conventions and be powerful and, and, and creative and work on our heart and work really hard. And, and that just shows that everything is possible and we just need to push it really hard. We need to get out there. We need to be strong. We need to be confident. And, you know, we need to show the world that we can do amazing work just as much as men and, and um, and this is absolutely the proof, and, and this exhibition is absolutely the proof of that. Of course, you have composed the soundscapes for Goddess. Tell us how your work sounds for this incredible exhibition. 
Yeah, um, it's actually quite a varied soundscape because um, apart from the opening piece of music that uh, is just like an immersive piece, multi-channel piece that was done just as an intro to the exhibition, which is quite textural, and and I cut up um, these voices of different interviews of uh, women uh, actors and um, actresses um, and just put it together in this kind of like really nice cinematic, inspiring uh, music piece, musical piece. The rest I've composed the music for specific videos, and and so uh, all of these videos um, have got different vibes to them, and they're cut-ups of different movies, and you know they've got you know there's like one called Femme Fatale where it's more like you know the sexy woman, the Femme Fatale, and obviously the music had to reflect that. Uh, there's one where you see um, all the uh, crazy movies like action movies um, and so you know it's like badass women uh, doing fights and being out there and just being absolutely legends uh, and so the music had to reflect you know the action and the energy um, of the of these videos and, and of, of their roles in these films and of you know reflecting that vibe and, and so there's really different different kind of kind of vibes and I've you know kind of done what I usually do which is mixing the classical sounds with the electronic music that I love making and that I love listening to. And, uh, you know, and that was wonderful to have actually that freedom, um, you know, that was given um, to me by Acme to kind of, you know, just take things in different ways. Probably sounds that you wouldn't usually hear like a techno track in a gallery exhibition, but I managed to do it somewhere. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. I can hear in your yeah. voice that you had so much fun putting this together and just yeah. love the creative license they gave you. How amazing. Yeah, look, it was, it was really an amazing project, um, you know, and I'm really grateful that I was, you know, chosen to do this. And and um, and like I was like, you know, every project is different and that's what I love about, uh, you know, my job as a composer that, you know, obviously there's certain things that we do more naturally and instinctively, but, you know, working for Vision is always exciting because you just never know what's going to happen and, and it's always a collaboration with other people. And, and I feel like, you know, with these collaborations, you know, gas composers kind of push ourselves in different directions that we usually wouldn't push ourselves onto or into. Um, and so, so yeah, you know, and a project like this, because it was so big and important and it obviously touches me deeply because I am a woman in this industry and, um, and it was so, you know, um, yeah, just exciting and, and super cool that I can't but not be super excited about being part of it. So tell us about the women that you uh, put in the intro uh, and their voices. Uh, yeah, who are some of the people who feature? Yeah, look, there's um, a really like a bit of a, a little bit of a mix of, you know, Australian, American uh, voices. So anything from, you know, you've got Kate Blanchett, you've got uh, Glenn Close, Betty Davis, uh, Russell Weiss, um, Tony Collette. Verla Davis, uh, uh, Siley Tyson, you know, so from old interviews to newer interviews and just taking snippets of sentences and phrases that, you know, kind of felt like they were powerful and they were meaningful and they meant something, um, you know, and um, yeah, so it was very laborious uh, job <laughs> to go through all these interviews and choose the right sentences, but hopefully, you know, it kind of you know, the right message comes across and, and just shows the, the real strength and, you know, and the inspiration that these women can give us. 
So it sounds like Acme gave you all of this sound footage and also, you know, video footage to work with. I mean, yeah, it must have been like, where do I start with this and what do I pick? Yeah, yeah, look, they, they Acme had already selected some interviews um, and then it was like, I'm just going to say, I don't know, 30, 40 of them or even more. And then it was like, okay, Kara, this is what we have, just do something with it. And um, so, yeah, it, it was it was time consuming, but I actually loved listening to these interviews and, you know, the, you know it was such a, like, amazing experience for me to hear these and, and see, you know, some of this um, because, uh, yeah, they're absolute gold. Yeah, absolutely. Diamonds and gold and, and just, just extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. um, and what an yeah. honour to have, you know, access mm. to all of that and to work on that project. Is there any audio in particular that you heard and you just went, oh, my God, this has really impacted on me? Yeah. Um, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Sally Tyson, but there's one bit where Sally said something like, you know, I'm strong, I'm black. I'm confident, I'm a woman. Like she was just saying all these sentences, very clear, short sentences, like describing who she is and, you know, um, yeah, like really being so completely transparent and honest. And this would have been like, I'm just going to guess, you know, I don't know what year, but it would have been from the 70s or something like that, you know, so it's not from today. So um, seeing how brave, you know, these women were, even at the time, you know, to, to get out there and, and speak for themselves, even like not having, you know, the, the openness and the recognition that we have today, which is definitely a lot more than what it used to be. Uh, it was very, very eye-opening and, and I just felt, um, yeah, really, really inspired. Was there anything in particular where your eyes almost popped out of your head, you know, where there was something that, say, shocked you that you saw or, or heard when putting together the soundscape for Goddess? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say shocked me. I think, like, it was more maybe like the, the, the Fighting Backs uh, movies, which, which is the, the last videos that you'll see when you're in, in the exhibition with, in the, with the curved screen. And those are like the moments where you have the, the action movies. And I actually never realized how many action movies there are um, with with women leaders. Like even just re-seeing Kill Bill or, you know, or even seeing like um, Michelle Yao in, you know, the, the old, um, you know, the old films from even like not super old, but even from like from the 90s where she was young and seeing her like fighting and doing some crazy moves and just, you know, being so, yeah, so over the top and, and being a leader and, and being out there. And yeah, it was it was very eye-opening for sure. And I, I was shocked in a way, yeah, in a good way. So tell us the backstory to how you got this incredible job uh, with Acme for Goddess uh, as a composer. It's such a plum role. Yeah, uh, look, I was very lucky because um, the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studios in uh, North Melbourne, they were actually talking to ACME about uh, about finding a composer. ACME was talking to MES, actually, uh, to the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studios um, about, you know, finding a female composer to, to compose the music for this uh, exhibition. And and I know Mess because I've done a residency there a few years ago and, you know, I've collaborated on some stuff with them before. And I was one of the female composers that they put um, they put forward uh, to Acme and uh, I wrote, you know, like an expression of interest. I sent some of my work and my, you know, CV and all that. And I was just 
you know, a miracle happened. <laughs> and I was very lucky, you know, to, to be chosen, uh, I guess, to, to do this. So, yeah, I was very, very lucky. Yeah. Well, it's testament to your, you know, accomplishments as a composer. And um, I've got to say, I'm really impressed by your DJ CV as well. And when I was doing a bit of research, I noticed that you um, DJed at Trough Resurrection, the return of the iconic party oh, here in Melbourne. What a God, thrill. It was so good. Was it? Ah, uh, uh, I mean, Trough is always amazing. I always say, like, it's probably, for me, it's always been the best party to DJ at because, there's just, you know, so much freedom and just so much, you know, openness about the whole vibe and, you know, something that you don't get in, a, in an hetero, you know, club, you know, where everyone is just kind of like, you know, acting so almost like formal, you know, and just kind of, you know, just being there standing like, you know, people are dancing, they're having fun, they're being free, they're being themselves. That's what clubs are about, you know. That's that's where they come from, you know. This this is what it's supposed to be, and and so being able to play, um, you know, at parties, especially particularly at trough, is always an amazing pleasure. And and you know, and I get to play like you know really high techno and weird things, and you know, and it always gets really well received. So um, yeah. Incredible. And just seeing the audience, you know, loving how, you know, uninhibited uh, it is and, and, and seeing them react yeah. to your music, that must be such a such a thrill as a DJ. Oh, it's, it's it's so amazing. And, you know, so many times I'm like, you know, maybe I should pull back a little bit. And, you know, because obviously the life of a DJ, it's, you know, it's a completely different lifestyle from one of the, you know, day of a day of, of for a composer. So, you know, I think I'm just at the point where I'm like, I should probably decide what to do because obviously, you know, um, being a composer, it's, you know, it's very hard work because you not only have to be creative and, you know, but you, you also have to like manage yourself. You, you know, it's, it's more than a full-time job in itself. So, um, but I can't stop. And, um, you know, because I, I just have too much fun and like tonight I'm playing at Revolver at 10 o'clock and, you know, I'm happy that it's an early, <laughs> that it's an early set actually, but, um, but uh, but yeah, but you know, I like I yeah, I couldn't live without it. No, not yet. Anyway, I'm not ready to give it up yet. It's just too much fun, and and sharing music that I love with people and seeing their reactions always just inspires me, you know, to do the next thing and and actually like inspire me as a composer as well. And yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, I was going to say the two must be so complimentary and help each other. Uh, Kiara Kickdrum, it's been absolutely fascinating chatting with you and um, what a great project, Goddess, uh, featuring formidable women of the screen. It's showing at Acme at Federation Square until the 1st of October and uh, can't yeah. wait to see it and can't wait to see you uh, DJing as well uh, in the future, hopefully. Uh, it's been a joy chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for having me. The wonderful Kiara kick drum there. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.